looking at just two verses. I know our overhead here says we're going to go through verse 20, but alas, there's just too much in these two verses. So we are going to be looking at verses 13 and 14 in Matthew chapter 7. And those verses say this. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Please pray with me. Holy Spirit, I pray that you will speak through me to your people. Pray that my exegesis that I have done this week is accurate and that you will bless it by changing hearts and minds and turning people that maybe don't know you towards you. I depend on your work, Spirit. I'm a weak, faulty vessel. Just use me for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. What we have here to the end of the Sermon on the Mount is a challenge, basically, to his listeners. Jesus is basically going to to challenge those who have been listening to him. He's essentially saying, okay, you've listened to all that I have said. Chapter 5, chapter 6, most of chapter 7. You've listened to all the words I have. Now what? What are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with what I've just laid out as kingdom living? And Jesus basically asked this question in the form of a challenge using a series of metaphors. And they come in twos. So here we have two gates with two paths. Next week we're going to be looking at two trees with two fruit. The week after that we're going to be looking at two claims with two destinations. And the week after that we're going to be looking at two buildings with two foundations. It would be so easy to take this as, as one sermon, because it does hang together, but there's just so much in each one of these that we're going to take the next four weeks to look at the conclusion to this great sermon that Jesus preached. And so with this type of two repetition over and over again, Jesus is making it clear who you trust, what you do, how you live your life matters eternally. That's basically what he's putting out there. And he begins by explaining in terms of two gates in two paths in verses 13 and 14. Two gates with two paths. And there are two paths in this life that Jesus says. And they lead to two different destinations. One leads to destruction, he says. Another word for hell. One leads to destruction. And the other leads to life. Another way of saying heaven. So there's these two gates through which you go, that there are two roads, and at the end of those roads are two destinations, two different destinations. And, those, and then he asks, which one 
are you going to open? He's going to ask this same question in different ways over the next couple of weeks. What are you going to do? And here this week, it's which gate are you going to open? And Jesus wastes no time. If you look at verse 13, he wastes no time. He actually gives you the answer up front. He's not doing a, an inductive study here. He's doing a deductive study. He's telling you the right answer, and then he's going to show you how it all fits together. And so he says there, right, right at the outset of his conclusion, enter by the narrow gate. There's the answer. Enter by the narrow gate. And Jesus is the gate. Okay? We're not going to play hide and seek here. Jesus is the gate. That, that's what he, he tells us in, in the Gospel of John, isn't it? In the Gospel of John, he, he reveals himself in different ways through different metaphors in, in the seven great I am statements, right? I am the vine, I am the good shepherd, I am the bread of life, I am the light of this world, I am the resurrection and the life, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He's revealing himself in different ways through these different metaphors. And here, in the seventh metaphor in John, he says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. I have come that you might have life and life in abundance, life to the full, he says. But that life comes through me. I'm the gate. In other words, he's calling people in John, and he's calling people here, enter through the narrow gate, to believe in him, to trust in him, to look to him, to go through him. He is the narrow gate that must be entered. I mean, like, Everybody who comes to MDI by car must go over the Trenton Bridge. There's no other way. To get to eternal life, there's no other way but to go through Jesus. He is that narrow gate. Because scripture tells us over and over again that he's the only way to get to the road that leads to life. At the end, not through Buddha in meditation, not through being reincarnated again and again until you get it right, not through believing in yourself or New Age crystals, not by believing in yourself and your good works. The only way to heaven is to believe that you are a sinner in need of forgiveness. And that you fall on your knees and ask Jesus to forgive your sins. That's what it means to go through the gate. And believe that Jesus lived the perfect life that Scripture says he lived, so that you don't have that pressure to do that. Not to say that we don't try and live a good life, but it's, it's not mandatory when you believe in Jesus because as you go along in this life, you're forgiven. It's necessary to go through that narrow gate to believe that, that he went to the cross for a reason, for a personal reason, for you. That going to the cross, he was substituting himself for you and taking 
your death penalty in his body. So that, as John 11 says, you go from life to life. It's necessary to go through the narrow gate of believing that Jesus rose bodily from the dead. They didn't rise spiritually, he wasn't a ghost. That he rose bodily, physically, from death. He was dead for three days, not breathing. And then God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, puffed him back to life again. And if you believe that, those narrow ways of thinking, if you believe that, the Bible says you will be saved. You have entered then through the narrow gate. You have, you have gone through that narrow gate and you're on a narrow road. And that narrow road is belief. And that narrow way of thinking, let me say this again, that narrow way that I've just described of thinking and belief is good. It's good. Now, there's many narrow ways of thinking that are not good. We don't want to be narrow in our thinking like the Pharisees in a self-righteous, legalistic way. That's not a good way to think narrowly. Nor do we want to be narrow in, in a dogmatic sense. In other words, being inflexible where the Bible is flexible. To be, to be dogmatic where scripture is unclear or even silent. Like Bishop Wright, when he visited a local denomination in 1870, he took strong exception to what the president of that, of that uh, seminary was saying one day. The president said that in 50 years it might be possible for men to soar in the air like angels. Bishop Wright replied, flight is strictly reserved for the angels. And I beg you not to repeat your suggestion unless you be guilty of blasphemy. Thirty-three years later, his two sons flew at Kitty Hawk. We must be careful that we are not too narrow like Bishop Wright. We can't be too narrow on, on the structure and chronology of the end times. We can't, we can't be too dogmatic there. We can't be too dogmatic and narrow in, in the gifts of the Spirit. We can't be too narrow and dogmatic even on, and I'm, I'm, I'm stepping probably on some toes here, on 24-hour day creation. There's room there. Al Mohler says, harm comes to the body when third-order issues are raised to first-order issues. But Christ calls us to be narrow where salvation is concerned. He says, this is proper and good to be narrow in. And there's only one way, Jesus Christ, and that is narrow. He says it over and over again about himself. And in chapter 14 of John, verse 6, he says, I am the, true, the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's the gate again, right? In Acts chapter 4, verse 12, we find the, 
the apostles saying, salvation is found in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given to men that man will be saved through. Paul wrote to Timothy to encourage him, this young pastor, and he writes him this. He, he says, be encouraged for there is one God, there is one mediator between God and man, and that is the man Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, when you share Christ, you're sharing a very narrow gate. There's only one way to get on that road that leads to life, and that is through Jesus Christ. Theologian Donald Bloch said, wrote this, The Christian way is not the middle way between extremes, but the narrow way between precipices. Jesus goes on to say in verse 14, And few find it. Few find this gate. Few find Jesus Christ. Few actually encounter Jesus Christ genuinely. Few really put due diligence. Listen to this. Few actually put due diligence into finding out if what Jesus Christ says is true. Few actually do that. William Hendrickson explains, Our Lord does not follow the method used by certain self-styled revivalists who speak as if getting saved is one of the easiest things in the world. Jesus, on the contrary, pictures entrance into the kingdom as being, on the one hand, most desirable, yet, on the other hand, not that easy. Entrance, the entrance gate is narrow. He writes, it must be found. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, or if you're listening on the live stream and you just stumbled onto our, our, our live stream, I'm grateful you're here. I'm grateful you're listening. I'm thrilled, as a matter of fact, you're here and listening. But I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you. Have you really investigated Jesus Christ? I mean, in our culture, in American culture, we hear that all the time. We're a Christian culture. We do hear that. But have you really taken the time to do the due diligence on what Jesus has said and if it's true? Have you taken time to read through the Gospels and consider what Jesus is saying about you, about life, and about your destination. Author C.S. Lewis did, and he said that if you, if you do your due diligence on Jesus Christ, you're basically going to come to three, one of three conclusions. You're either going to come to the conclusion that he's a lunatic, that, that he didn't know, that he was out of his mind, and that, that his, he had a God complex, and he died for that, one or two, you either come to the conclusion that Jesus was a supreme liar, and he was such a supreme liar that, that he was willing to die for it, that he mis- misled hundreds, if not thousands, of people, and, and hundreds of millions of people after that. Or there's a third option that what he said is true, and that he is 
Lord. And that he is God become man for the sake of saving, offering salvation to those who will do their due diligence and believe. The narrow gate requires that you thoughtfully consider Christ. Because as Hendrickson said, salvation just doesn't happen serendipitously. Salvation, you don't just fall into salvation. You enter through a narrow gate thoughtfully, purposely, precisely. Pastor David Daniels writes, math is one of the few disciplines where there is only one right answer and billions of wrong ones. Approximate answers in math are wrong. He writes, I believe many people are counting on an approximate gospel, and I think he's right. I've heard of Jesus, say some. I live in a Christian country, say some. I own a Bible. I live a pretty good life. I grew up in a Christian home. I go to church a couple times a year, Christmas, Easter. People say, generally speaking, I think I have a good odds at going to, to heaven. But Jesus said that the way is so much more narrow than that. We don't believe in an approximate gospel. We believe in a precise gospel. There's only one man through which you enter into eternal salvation, and that is the man Jesus Christ. And that's a narrow gate, brothers and sisters. That's a hard teaching. That's a hard that's hard when you share that with people. Because basically deep down none of us like that narrowness. We don't like being narrow. We we don't like doing hard things like that. We like gates that are wide and paths that are easy. And that's what Jesus says next. He says, listen, there, there, there's another way, to, there's another gate, there's another road, and there's another destination. Look, at, look with me at verse 13. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. Our flesh prefers wide gates and easy roads. We like wide gates. Give me wide gates. Give me easy roads any day, any day of the week. We like to think that there are many ways up the mountain. Can't be just Jesus. There have to, there have to be a couple ways to get to the, to heaven. We like to think that there are no restrictions. Who's going to say no to a good person living a good life? We don't like limitations on, on the, any baggage along this road. We like to take as much baggage as we, as we can carry. But Jesus says, no, you're going to... Look at how he sent out his disciples. Don't take anything with you. Travel light. That's why so many people are on this wide road. Because it's easy. Right and wrong are prescribed by you. Right? I decide what's right and wrong. 
There are few limitations on what you can do. I'll decide what I can do and what I can't do. You're your own boss. There's no authority above you. Who, who wants authority above you? Your emotions are always right. Follow them. That always feels good to us, doesn't it? I feel I should do this. Your choices are seldom challenged on that wide road. Your lifestyle is fine any way you like it. No need for accountability in your life. Don't need accountability on this wide road. In fact, life is is like this huge, unending smorgasbord for you. I can try a little of this and try a little of that. That doesn't look so good, but that looks good. I'll try that. All truth is relative and subject to your to what you believe on this wide road. And the list can go on and on and on because that's, that's what the wide road looks like. Because that, that's what the wide road feels like. It feels right. Listen to what the Bible says in Proverbs 14.12. There's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. The wide road seems right to us. And that's what Jesus is warning us about here. For the gate is wide and the way is easy. Sounds good so far. That leads to destruction. He's saying that type of life, that type of ethos, that type of way of thinking, that, that leads to, to destruction. When you go to the ophthalmologist, the eye doctor, to get glasses, there are basically two eye issues that, that are being corrected. I mean, I know there's a lot of eye issues out there, but there's basically two that can be corrected. Nearsightedness and farsightedness. I always used to get these two confused. Farsightedness, and that's why I wrote it down. Farsightedness is when you can see things in the distance, but things up close are kind of fuzzy. You can drive, but, but you can't read, right? Nearsightedness is when you see things close to you, but you can't see things far. You can, you can read. The things up close are really crisp and is in focus, but, but things in the distance are, are, are blurry. What Jesus is warning us about here is being spiritually nearsighted. Be careful, brothers and sisters that the things of this world become so crisp and so real that the things that are really important, the destination that's really important is blurry. Because that can happen so easily in our lives. And the things that are, that are here and now and that we can touch and feel and experience, those become ultimate. And the things that are blurry and we don't understand become distant and not important. He's warning us about being spiritually nearsighted. But listen to what Paul wrote. He says to the Corinthian church, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And he concludes by saying this, 
all of us who are mature should take a view on such things. What Paul is saying, and also what Jesus is saying here, is the same thing. Don't be nearsighted, be farsighted. Have, have the things of this life be kind of blurry and, and less important than, than the things that are ult, of ultimate importance. Keep the final destination in mind. While living this life, keep eternity in mind. Think of it like this. All that you do, in all that you do, it should reflect on where you think you're going. And brothers and sisters, that type of living is hard. That's hard. When you take your decisions and, and your plans and your dreams and you, and you say, the, what am I going to do in light of who I am and where I'm going? And it requires of us many times. And we don't like that. That's why it's hard. And he calls that path narrow and hard. The word translated there in verse 14 for hard is the same form of the Greek, Greek word flipsis, which is translated suffering. It's a road of, of difficulty. It's a road of, it's a road of suffering. The Christian life is a path of suffering. We've talked about this many, many, many times here from this very pulpit in this very church. The life of a Christian has purpose. It has hope. It has assurance. It has peace. It has joy. It has all these things. It's, it's chocked full of those things, as a matter of fact, as a, as a believer. But what Jesus is saying here is, it is also narrow and hard. That that somehow has to work its way into your theology. In the upper room, the night before Jesus died, he wanted to prepare his disciples. That's why he took them up there. That's why the Holy Spirit preserved those three chapters for us. Those five chapters for us. So that by Jesus preparing his disciples to live the life he's calling, we can be prepared by that. And he told them that they... They would be persecuted and hated just like he was persecuted and hated. He told them that in this world they will have trouble. In his high priestly prayer, he said to, to his God, he said, I've given them your word and the world hates them. Paul describes this path to the Corinthian church in the second letter, fourth chapter. He says, he says it like this. Here's how Paul is describing the Christian life. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are persecuted for your sake, but not forsaken. We are struck down, but not destroyed. Interestingly there, Paul is describing mental and physical and emotional and spiritual suffering associated with the Christian life. Absolutely, the gospel brings us courage and power to stand. The Spirit gives us the ability 
to say no to ungodliness and yes to godliness. Yes, we do have victory in this life. We have the far-sighted hope that Jesus has overcome this world. But even Paul and Barnabas, when, when they were coming swinging back on their missionary journey to the churches that they just planted in Lystra and, and Derby and Antioch, when they were swinging back a second time just to check on them, they said this to the churches, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. He was preparing them, just as Jesus was preparing his disciples. Just as Jesus is preparing us through this sermon. Brothers and sisters, our flesh wants the pro- what the prosperity preachers offer. We really do. Really do. We want our best life now. We want comfort and ease all the time. We want glory now, suffering later, right? But the hard truth that the Christian path is that the Christian path is suffering now, glory later. That's theologically correct. Because it's the pattern of our Savior, isn't it? That's how our Savior went through his life. And if we're going to follow in his footsteps like he says we should, they are going to lead us into those areas. It will always be hard for us because we're following in his steps. It will always be hard for us because our, our, our flesh chafes against that difficulty. Just think about it for a second. Think about the culture around us and how we're supposed to navigate our way in the culture. You know, in the last 10 or 15 years, pornography has become mainstreamed. It is okay. It is everywhere. Not for the, not for the Christian. Fear has been mainstreamed the last six months, hasn't it? It's amazing. I've talked to several people that it must have been lying right below the surface. And this pandemic has just let it out. There's, there's, fear is what the world is going through. Now I'm not, It's not that we shouldn't be cautious. It's not that this isn't real. It is real. But there's a lot of fear around this. And we're we're not to be fearful people. It's a hard life because Scripture doesn't allow us to think like the world thinks. Truth has been relativized over the last 50 years. Totally relative. Not so for the believer. There is a right and there is a wrong. We just read, there, there's in Psalm 1, there's two types of ways you can live. A right way and a wrong way. You know, that's one of the reasons that we support Mirus Academy as we do. Their motto is love truth. There is a truth to love. There is objective truth. There is objective beauty. Christian path is a hard because the world operates contrary to how Jesus calls us to operate. The world tells us we're basically good. Jesus just got done telling us, if you have your Bibles open, just look at verse 11. And he calls us evil. 
You then who are evil know how to give good gifts. How much more? God in heaven. The world tells us that sin isn't that harmful. It's not a big deal. Scripture says it is the enemy of your soul. The world tells us that sleeping with your boyfriend or girlfriend before marriage is totally normal. Everybody's doing it. Scripture says keep that within the confines and boundaries of his holy covenant of marriage. The world tells us if it feels good, do it. Scripture tells us that the heart is deceitful above all things and cannot be trusted. Our flesh tells us that when life gets hard, find the path of least resistance. Scripture tells us, you know, walk through that valley of the shadow of death. I'll be with you through that. The world tells us that the weak can be euthanized and the unborn aborted. Scripture tells us, no. Life is precious. It's God's, made in God's image, from one cell to a billion cells. All these and many more are narrow ways of thinking, of behaving, of living in this world. They're narrow. That's what makes living in this world hard sometimes. But entering the narrow gate and walking the hard path all the way to the end is worth it because Jesus says the end of that path Narrow gate, narrow road, the end of that path is what? Life. This is life. There is where life is. At the end of that path, through that gate. In Valladolid, Spain, where Christopher Columbus died in 1506, there's a monument to him commemorating his, his life as a discoverer. The most interesting feature of this memorial is a statue of a lion that is destroying a Latin word. Before Christopher Columbus, the Spaniards thought they had reached the outer limits of the earth. Thus, their motto, the Spanish motto was, Ne plus ultra, ne plus ultra, meaning no more beyond. The word being torn away by the lion is the word nay, no, thus leaving more beyond. We have to keep that in mind as we're traveling on the hard road, as we're traveling on the narrow road, as the word and the spirit speak to us and say say hard things to us, challenge us to be sacrificial, challenge us to go out of our comfort zones, challenge us to live in ways in which we don't want to live. We have to remember, we have to be, be farsighted and remember that this life is but a mist that is here for a moment and then gone. And there's more beyond, there's plus ultra beyond. J.I. Packer wrote in Fathers Love You, we know very little about heaven, But I once heard a theologian describe it as an unknown region with a well-known inhabitant. To 
To those who have learned to love and trust Jesus, he wrote, the prospect of meeting him face to face and being with him forever is the hope that keeps us going, no matter what life throws at you. And that, brothers and sisters, is how we make it on this narrow, hard road. Please pray with me. Lord God, thank you for your word. Thank you for this time that we've worshipped you. Lord, let us never forget that you are so worthy of all of our time, all of our energy, all of our thought. You are so worthy of our life, as you tell us in Romans 12, to be a sacrificial offering to you. Help us, Lord, to live on this narrow road you've called us to, to live on well. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.